Well, welcome again, everybody. My name's John, like I said before, and if you're a, a guest with us today, you're catching us in the midst of a summer uh, sermon series called Stories Old and New. And we're this summer looking through some of the stories of the Old Testament, uh, understanding that uh, by God's Spirit, God makes those new in us today, and they're still very relevant for us where we live. And also throughout our services, uh, not today, but most every other service this summer, we're hearing personal stories about how God's old story is alive and new in, in our lives today. So stories old and new, that's kind of the deal. And also our elementary students are with us during the summer, so we thought it might be nice to read the Old Testament stories from the Jesus Storybook Bible, just to make it a little bit more accessible. So uh, Hannah Grace is going to read for us now the story of Moses and the Exodus called God to the Rescue. So let's hear God's word. Joseph and his brothers grew old and died, but their children's children stayed on in Egypt where they became a very large family. Later on, a new king began to rule, but this pharaoh didn't remember Joseph and he didn't like God's people. He made them into his slaves and beat them and made them work harder and harder. God's people cried out to God to rescue them. And God heard them. He remembered his promise to Abraham. He would look after his people. He would find a way to set them free. One day, Moses was looking after sheep when something caught his eye. A bush was behaving very oddly. It was flickering with flames, but its leaves weren't burning up. He took a closer look. Moses, boomed a voice. Moses slept back. The bush was talking to him. I have heard my people's cries, God said. I have seen their tears, so I have come down to rescue them. Go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go free. Moses was afraid, but God said, I will be with you. So Moses went to Pharaoh. Pharaoh, Moses began. God said, God, said Pharaoh, Never heard of him. Moses kept going. God says, let his people go free. Why should I, Pharaoh said. Don't want to, won't. So he didn't. So God gave Pharaoh ten warnings called plagues. First, God turned the river Nile into blood. No one could drink the water. But still Pharaoh would not let them go. So God made frogs come hopping and leaping and jumping. In your bed frogs, in your hair frogs, in your soup frogs, all over everywhere frogs. Make them go away, Pharaoh screamed. Then your people can go. So God took the frogs away, but Pharaoh changed his mind. You can't go, he said. Then God sent zillions of gnats, but still Pharaoh said, no. So then God sent swarms of flies, flies flies buzzing in your eyes, flies. And after that, sickness and horrible boils and huge hailstones, and a storm of locusts, then darkness when it should have been day, until it seemed that the whole world, creation and everything, was coming undone, falling back into darkness, and emptiness, and nothingness. But each time Pharaoh said, make it stop, and then I'll let them go. And each time when God made it stop, Pharaoh changed his mind and said, actually, no, you can't go. Finally, Moses warned Pharaoh, Obey God, or he will have to send the worst thing of all. Pharaoh just laughed. So God said, The oldest boy in each family of Egypt must die, but my people will be safe. So God told his people to take their best lamb, to kill it, and to put some of its blood on their front doors. 
When God passes over your house, Moses explained, God will see the blood and know that the lamb died instead of you. That night, it was just as God had said. Suddenly, piercing the darkness, echoing down the corridors of the palace, came a blood-curdling scream. Pharaoh's oldest son had died. At last, Pharaoh did what God said. Get out, Pharaoh shouted. Just go. And so that very night, Moses and God's people fled out of Egypt and out of slavery. They were free at last. God's people would always remember this great rescue and call it Passover. But an even greater rescue was coming. Many years later, God was going to do it again. He was going to come down once more and rescue his people. But this time, God was going to set them free forever and ever. Thank you, Hannah Grace. So, uh, you know, we're reading the Jesus Storybook Bible, and the, the benefit is you get big swaths of scripture in one little story. And the hard part about preaching is you get big swaths of <laughs> scripture in, in one little story. So 10 chapters, Exodus 3 through 13, and Moses and, and the burning bush and the Exodus. Last, last week, we talked about Joseph and that big story a little bit. Uh, Joseph died, and the world moved on. And the king of Egypt, the pharaoh uh, that led Joseph, died, and Egypt moved on. And there was a new pharaoh and new king. He didn't remember God's people, the Israelites, and didn't like them, enslaved them, used them as, as slave labor. And we could talk through more of the details there, but the, the heart of uh, the message is that while human beings forget, God doesn't. While human beings forget, God doesn't. And specifically, God does not forget the covenant that he made with Abram. Look, look at this. God heard their groaning, meaning his people's groaning in Egypt, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Now, I don't, I don't know exactly where you're at in your journey of faith if you know much about this covenant. I, I remember a day when this was all brand new to me. For some of you, this might be a little review, but it's, it's so very important for understanding how deeply God really loves us. The covenant being referred to is a covenant that God made with Abram in, in, it's recorded in Genesis chapter 15. And what God said to Abram then was, hey, Abram, go and get a bunch of animals, bring them back to me, slice them in half lengthwise, lay one half on one side, the other half on the other side. So what, what was being done here was the setting up of a covenant-cutting ceremony. This was very common in the ancient world. And this is what would happen. People would go and grab animals like this. The first step is that they would cut the neck of the animal and let it bleed out in a pool of blood. Then they would slice the animal in half lengthwise like this, lay one half on one side and one on the other, then the two parties in the covenant would stand on opposite sides and they would take turn walking through that pool of blood in bare feet. It was a blood covenant. And what they were saying to one another is this isn't just uh, a friendly agreement. This isn't just a contract. This is a relational forever agreement that we're making with one another to which we stake our lives. And what you were saying as you walked through that pool of blood was may it be to me like these animals if I do not fulfill my end of this covenant. So God made a covenant like that with with Abram. He said, go get these animals and, and set it up. And then in Genesis 15, it says this. Here's what happened next. 
As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, know for certain, meaning I'm I'm making this covenant with you so you can be absolutely sure that what I'm telling you is true because I'm staking my life to it and I will do it. Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. Egypt, the story we just read. And that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. That all happened. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Then this, when the sun set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. If, if you understand the cultural background, what's going on here is absolutely clear. The smoking fire pot and blazing torch represent God walking through that blood, saying to Abram, may it be to me like these animals if I do not keep my promise to you. And God made a covenant with Abram that day. See, while human beings forget, God remembers and specifically, God remembers his covenant with us. And because of that, says the Jesus Storybook Bible, God would look after his people and he would find a way to set them free back then and today. See, God remembers us. God cares about us. No matter how we might be feeling right now, and God's good purpose is to, to set us free, to rescue us from everything that would seek to enslave us. And what happened to the Israelites physically, God wants to do for everyone spiritually in Christ. Freedom from slavery. Living in a a, a new land with a new life. So that's the story of the great rescue, right? The Exodus. Here it is. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I am concerned about their suffering. God cares. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. All of this said to Moses. So God God was concerned about his people. He heard their cry. And what was his response? So he said, I have come down to rescue them. The great claim of Christianity. God isn't just up there somewhere. God has come down. And to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land. So let's not miss the fundamental premise behind all of this. And, And really the fundamental premise of the Bible with regard to human beings. People need help. You and I need help. Specifically, we need to be rescued. And we cannot rescue ourselves. I saw an image that just was seared in my mind. If if you're a a fifth long timer, you've probably heard me say this before. Here's my version of recreating that image. It's so very telling. When you're treading water out in the deep, you cannot simply reach up, grab yourself by the hair, and pull yourself out. You can't do it. That, that's what the Bible says spiritually is our, is our situation. You know, the stick figure in the water trying to save himself. He can't. He doesn't have any leverage. 
And as much as he might think it will work, it won't. As hard as he tries, he won't get anywhere. And as hard as he might pull, all he'll end up doing is pulling his hair out, literally and metaphorically. It doesn't work, right? We need help beyond ourselves, from beyond ourselves to be, to be rescued. We can't pull ourselves out of the water. And that's what the great rescue is about. God really did that. God came down, rescued people, and led them to a new life in a new land. I, I won't repeat the whole story, uh, uh, the larger story, but Moses confronted Pharaoh. Pharaoh resisted. God sent plagues. And finally, we get to this great climax of the plague of the firstborn son. Uh, the, the, the statement that every firstborn son, from the firstborn son of Pharaoh to the firstborn male of the cattle, would die in Egypt. And here's what God told the Israelites to do. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month. Translated, a whole new life begins right now. This is day one. The first month of the year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with the bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Again, the Jesus Storybook Bible version. God told his people to take their best lamb, to kill it, to put some of the blood on, its, on their front doors. When God passes over your house, Moses explained, God will see the blood and know that the lamb died instead of you. And thus, pass over. The angel of the Lord passed over those houses marked with blood on the doors. So the Israelites did all this. Pharaoh's son died. Pharaoh let them go. And the Israelites were let out of slavery forever. And God commanded them to remember this, to remember what God did on their behalf. Because just like the cross, the exodus is a claim upon history. It's not a spiritual metaphorical thing. We believe that this actually happened, that God came down and rescued, that this is the the greatest image of salvation in the Old Testament, just like the cross is the greatest image of salvation in the New Testament. And God asked them to remember This is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. And they did. Ever since that very first Passover, that that exodus, the Jewish people have celebrated the Passover. And a rhythm developed for the way that they celebrated this. that, That rhythm involved four cups of wine, the shank bone of a lamb, matzah bread, bread without yeast, and horseradish, a bitter herb. Sounds weird, I know. But there's a point to this. The four cups of wine all symbolized something, as did the other things. There's a little debate in the, in the Jewish world about what exactly the four cups symbolized because people, different people went different directions. In general, most agree that they symbolized this. The first was the cup of sanctification. And as they celebrated the Passover meal, they drank from that cup. The second, the cup of the plagues. Third, the cup of redemption. And four, the cup of praise. The shank bone, because 
of the lamb sacrificed on their behalf, the matzah, because the dough of their ancestors didn't have time to rise before God redeemed them, and the horseradish, the bitter herb, to remind them of the bitterness of that from which they were rescued. These are all very sensory reminders of the whole story. Great teaching tool, actually. And God commanded them to use this celebration to teach their kids about the great rescue. They taught their children that they were all in desperate need of rescue and that God came down and rescued them and led them to a new life in a new land. Incredible, right? Now, if the story were to end there, that would be a pretty great story. But really, this is just all the setup. Because again, as the Jesus Storybook Bible puts it, an even greater rescue was coming. Right? Said John the Baptist, pointing to Jesus, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Friends, it would appear from all of the pieces that fit together in this story that God really wants us to get this. This is not a side note. See, after that, that first Passover, God gave Moses a whole system of sacrifices. Every day, a sacrifice was to be made at the third hour and the ninth hour, meaning dawn and three in the afternoon. And before there was a temple, the Israelites had this portable tabernacle that went with them, and they, they camped. So every day, twice a day, every Israelite would have a sensory reminder that a sacrifice needed to be made for their sin. When they woke up in the morning, they smelled the sacrifice burning and they saw the smoke. At three in the afternoon, they smelled it again and saw the smoke. An everlasting daily reminder of the covenant in which they lived before God, where they said, may it be to us like these animals if we don't keep our end of the deal. And they knew they weren't keeping their end of the deal. And these sacrifices, this blood sacrificed on their behalf was what kept things going spiritually. But then Jesus shows up. And we don't have time in one sermon to make all the connections, but here are just a few. What we know as Palm Sunday was in the Passover celebration, Lamb Selection Day. The very day people chose the lamb that would be sacrificed on their behalf for their family. Well, that's quite something. As if God were saying, here's my lamb, choose him. And look at the way Jesus celebrated the Passover with his disciples the night before the cross. Remember the four cups and the shank bone and the matzah and the horseradish, all that bit. It's very clear that Jesus was using this pattern to celebrate the Lord's Supper. We, we know he drank from at least two cups because the scripture tells us. Look at Luke 22. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds its fulfillment in the kingdom of God. The Passover meal being fulfilled, that's a whole other thing to think about, Right? After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, 
gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, taking the cup again, right? We think this is the third cup now, the cup of redemption, and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. So the second cup probably is the first drink referred to in the scripture. So they drink to open the Passover celebration, the cup of sanctification. They move through and then they drink the cup of the plagues. And Jesus takes that cup, hands it to them, drinks it and says, divide this among you. Then he moves on to the matzah and he he breaks the bread and hands it out just like they would in any other Passover meal celebration except then he goes off script. And he says, this bread is my body given for you. And they're thinking, huh? And then he picks up the third cup, the cup of redemption, and goes off script again and says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And if you had been a thoroughly trained Jewish person, and you'd been sitting there when Jesus did that, your mind would have gone, because suddenly, in one sentence, he brought together the entire story of their faith. The whole thing. This isn't just the Passover celebration anymore. This is reference back to the covenant. That covenant God made with Abram, where God passed through and said, let it be to me like these animals if I don't keep my end of the deal. Later on with Moses, God's people would say, okay, let it be to us like these animals if we don't keep our end of the covenant. And Jesus holds up the cup of redemption and says, this is a new covenant. And what makes the new covenant new is that God came down to rescue us. God fulfills his end of the covenant and in Jesus, God sneaks down to our side and fulfills our end of the covenant for us. So God keeps both ends of the covenant. Thus says the author of Hebrews, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. We do not live defeated small lives because we're perfect in God's sight because of what Jesus has done for us. This is unbelievable. We couldn't fulfill our end of the deal, but in Jesus, God snuck down and fulfilled our end of the covenant for us. And it was to him like it was to those animals. His blood shed on the cross, just like ours was to be shed because of our covenant agreement with God. See, on the cross, Jesus died at the exact hour of the final Passover sacrifice in the celebration. The the exact hour. He writes one author, more than 1,200 years of sacrificial offerings all pointing to this one great sacrifice of God. It would appear that God really wants us to get this. Everything coming together in this moment. God fulfilled his end of the covenant and in Jesus, God fulfills our end of the covenant for us. Thus, we've received the perfect uh, performance record of Jesus. We can think of that as our own, right? I'll talk about God to the rescue. The Passover is now permanent. It has been fulfilled in Christ. We don't need to do this over and over because it's been done once for all. We live in a world where a resurrection has happened. Really. These aren't just ideas that we kick around every Sunday. This is life. This is the world in which we live. Someone has come down to us from beyond us to help us. Jesus. And he is good. 
And he invites us all to a new life in a new land, to a new life with new power to battle all that seeks to enslave you, to a new land, a promised land. You are welcome to occupy that place of faith where you indeed are a beloved child of God, a daughter, a son, not a screw up, not a disappointment, not a failure where you live as the creature you really are in Christ, a child of God's own choosing, a son or daughter of the covenant through faith and by baptism, rooted in grace, overflowing with mercy because you've received so much, filled with the fruit of the Spirit and able to view fellow human beings as creations of an almighty God who loves them and thus you are motivated and prompted to give them dignity and respect for that reason alone. Wow. God to the rescue. Really, it's the claim. Not just spiritual. Certainly not just metaphorical. Not just philosophical. Historical is the claim. That God came down to rescue us and to lead us into a new life in a new land. God rescues. If there's anything in you, be it maybe turning to God for the first time really or turning back again as we all need to do, if there's anything in you resisting that rescue, give up now. God came down to rescue And his good purpose is to set us free so that we can be free. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray with me, would you? God, thank you so much that alongside all of our questions, alongside all of our our doubts, alongside all of our suffering in this world, alongside all of the thousands of things that we can't explain, thank you that alongside all of that stuff, there stands on the timeline of history a claim that is unshakable, that you really did this that you lived and died and rose again, that you're alive right this instant, eager to be present in the lives of people, desiring all people everywhere to turn to you, to come to a knowledge of the truth, and to receive your rescue, to be saved. God, help us, wherever we are individually, help us turn toward you, help us move with you, help us receive from you, help us not to resist you, Help us, God. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the gift of faith. Thank you for your promise to us. Thank you for for fulfilling both ends of the covenant for us. You are so very good. We bless you, God, by your spirit. Make us the people we really are. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.